Well, here we are in week two of a series we're calling Under God? And the question mark is an important part of the name because, as it is obvious to see, the culture in the United States is changing exceedingly fast. It's been changing for a long time. It's been slow enough to where nobody really panicked, but in the last like 10 or 15 years, uh, some Christians, we've started to panic. And um, there's several ways you could classify this cultural change. You could call it a political change, and you could say the world's going from conservative to liberal. Um, The problem with that, though, is one person's conservative is another person's liberal, so that's hard to define it that way. Um, You could look at it in moral terms. You could say our culture is moving from a culture that has historically accepted moral absolutes to a culture where everything is kind of morally relative. Moral absolutes mean there are certain things that are absolutely right or wrong for everybody, rules that apply to everybody. But now our world is kind of moving, our culture is kind of moving to where moral relativism is, is king, where what's right for me is right for me and what's right for you is right for you. My morality might not be the same as your morality, and there's a lot of people that kind of adhere to that, and it sounds nice, and it feels nice on the surface, uh, but, but the way for our sake in this series, the way we're looking at this change is in a social and religious context, saying that our culture is moving from a Christian culture, a Christianized culture, to a post-Christian culture, and um, historically speaking, America has been heavily influenced by the Christian faith and has been that way for a long time. In fact, I would say that many of us have just kind of assumed and grown up assuming that Christianity was the faith of the United States of America. Even if people didn't go to church, if you ask most people, are you a Christian? They would say, well, yeah, I don't go to church, but yeah, I'm a Christian. There was a lot of people that would identify as uh, believers in the faith. And uh, you could always, you know, notice cultural evidence of this, even outside of the church world, that Christianity was kind of the assumed faith of our country. Um, If you watch, you know, TV, I'd say up until like the mid-90s, if anybody had a funeral or a wedding to go to, it was at a church. And, you know, it wasn't a mosque, it wasn't a synagogue. Andy and Aunt B went to church. Like, that's just the way TV was. And then, you know, kind of has started to flux and change as, as, you know, we've reached into the last 15 years or so. Um, another thing that is evidence of kind of the Christian saturation of our country is that um, our d- several important statements and documents uh, that are associated with our country have references to God or, you know, the Declaration of Independence. There are certain inalienable rights endowed by our... Creator. Is that the dependence or constitution? Anybody? Well, good. Uh, someone's confidence the Declaration of Independence. The rest of you are in the same boat. So if, if, if nobody's for sure, I'm going to, uh, you know, one, to, one, to con- to, uh, one versus a room of confusion, I, that makes me feel pretty good um, that I don't know. Uh, so, um, but then you have things like, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, one nation under God. And then you have on our money, every dollar bill, every piece of change in your pocket says, in God we trust. And so we have these references to, a divin- to, to divine in our culture. And a lot of people have just assumed, well, that's the God of the Bible. That's the God of Christianity. In the New Testament, Father, Son, and Spirit, if you want to go with the name of God in the Old Testament, that's talking about Yahweh there. That's not anybody else. That's not Allah. It's always talking about Christianity. We've always just kind of assumed that. Not everybody has, but for the most part, that's just kind of how we have looked at it. Now, um, other places Christianity's influence has shown up is in how our laws are set up. I mean, 
you wouldn't believe all of the ways in which the Christian moral structure, moral values, have influenced the laws of, the, of Western culture. Uh, for instance, we kind of assume that all humans are equal. All human life, whether you're white, black, male, female, old, young, human life is equally valuable. That has not historically been the case in every culture in the world. In fact, there are many cultures in the world where historically it's like, oh, you have a baby, oh, it's a girl. Girls aren't worth as much as boys, so you just get rid of that baby and just pretend like, oops, that one didn't happen, let's try again for a boy. But Christianity has changed that until even even now in our culture, as we move toward a post-Christian culture, a lot of these Christian value structures are just inseparable from the way that we live and the way that we think. And another way that you've seen Christianity is that there were so many times and places when prayer would show up in government, political, social, civic areas. Um, It's been incredibly common for Christian pastors to be invited to pray before government meetings, whether local or state or um, national levels, it doesn't matter. We, that's just kind of a common thing that happened. Um, there used to be prayer in school lunchrooms. There used to be um, prayer at school things, all, school functions all the time. And that was just common. Despite the fact that there was a separation of church and state, it was just, everyone was Christian enough that it was just kind of like okay for us to bring all these things in together. And now, most, if not all of those things, are changing. Our world is changing, and we are moving very quickly in many respects toward a post-Christian world. No longer is the mention of God on money and stuff, no longer does everybody kind of say, oh, well, that's the God of the Bible, okay? Now it's the God of your choosing. You know, that's, that's, and some people have always interpreted it, you know, depending upon their faith, but, but now it's becoming more common for people to look at that and say, well, that's just whatever, a reference to whatever God that you happen to worship. And then there's even another group of people that are very loud and grumpy who want all references of, of religious mention of God scrubbed from all political documentation or anything associated with it whatsoever because they say, hey, there's atheists here too. We don't believe in God and we want to be included. And, and so that kind of all gets mixed in together and we're moving away from that general acceptance that Christianity is the kind of king of all religions in America. Um, Christian morality in our country has less and less Wait on our laws. Um, and again, this, like I said, this has been happening for a while. One example that it's been happening a while, and I've said this before, but back in 1938, Frank Sinatra, Old Blue Eyes, was arrested for, anybody know? Adultery. Adultery and seduction. That was one of, the, that was one of his charges, was adultery and seduction. I don't have a clue what that, hap- what that entails. That's just what it said in the paperwork. Um, but like that, someone getting arrested for adultery now, that seems laughable. Like everybody's kind of against it. Don't cheat on your spouse. Right? We're all against it. But we can't imagine the police showing up and hauling somebody off in cuffs because they cheated on their spouse. That's one way that we are moving away, and it's been happening for a while now. But um, again, it's moving, it's moving faster these days. Um, prayer is no longer allowed in the places it was once welcomed. Um, like I said, many see it as a violation of church and state. And so Prayer, you don't have it in all the government circles you're used to and school functions and whatnot. And there are still, especially in this area, there are still remnants of that. Um, But I got to tell you, I feel like that's just a ticking clock. Basically, those things still exist until somebody complains. There is no legal, real precedent for having Christian prayer in these things anymore. Uh, Other places, people, school systems have been sued and whatnot and lost. So basically, where there's still remnants of prayer in certain circles... It's, it's a time 
it's a time game until somebody complains about it. And so our culture, again, changing so incredibly fast. And the thing about the changes that are taking place that we'll talk about in a minute is it's very, very personal for a lot of us. And personal means painful. And I think the reason why it's so specifically painful for a lot of believers is because as our world changes from Christian to post-Christian, there are certain things that we are losing and we feel that loss almost on a daily basis. Okay, Here's some things that we are losing in our culture, that Christians are losing. One is control. Um, because Christians, you know, we used to be uh, kind of the moral and social influencer. And, and that gave Christians control at certain levels of government, certain levels of, of how we got to shape and control the directions our culture moved and our laws moved. But that's not that way anymore. In fact, for many Christians, you feel like you just get to sit in a world that you grew up in that is now becoming more and more unfamiliar, and it's being filled by more and more people that you just don't agree with. And so we're losing control. And with control, you also lose power. Power and influence. If power, uh, even if the power wasn't directly ours, okay, even if you were never somebody who had a position of influence over a lot of people, there was some level of comfort that came in just knowing that the people in those responsible seats, they were Christian. And so therefore, if they're Christian, then like if the president's a Christian or the, the mayor's a Christian or the people in the house and the senate of whatever state or government you're looking at, as long as those people are Christian, I can rest easy that there's still people out there fighting the good fight but we've lost a lot of that anymore. But more generally, the thing that I think most Christians feel, and maybe they can't even define what they feel, is this. They feel like they're losing their country. For many of us, and for many of you, the, the Christian principles that our country used to, you know, used to inhabit our country, those things, to you, those were the things that made America great. Those were the things that made our country the most powerful, most uh, successful nation on, on, on the planet. And you feel like maybe as those things are stripped away, it's almost like the lifeblood, the very, the very core, the very essence of what made the United States the United States. You feel like those things are, are bleeding away. And so there are losses that are taking place. And, and for many people, it feels like the losses are getting worse and worse every single day. Now the thing about change is that change will either bring out the best in you or the worst in you. And to be fair, I've seen both. As our cultures change and as uh, churches and Christians have had to kind of like navigate this entirely new landscape that's changing beneath their feet, I have seen some amazing examples of followers of Christ handling cultural change and learning how to adapt to it. Um, but unfortunately, some of the most newsworthy examples, the most media-presenting examples, and sometimes even the ones that just, you know, draw the most comments online, the most furor in a, in a social uh, media circle, are where Christians haven't exactly responded great, where it's brought out the worst in Christians. And we've talked about this last week where, oh man, have Christians done some really mean and cruel things? There have been things said, I have, I mean, I, you, you can go on any social media site or any um, news story on any major outlet that has a comment section, and you will see people claiming to be Christians saying horrible, horrible, deplorable things. I mean, I was watch, reading one the other day, and like, the Christian response was, well, if you weren't such a whore, I'm like, oh, no, don't say you're a Christian. Don't put yourself in, no, because i got to make up for you now. Like, no, dude, like, it bums me out. It's like, no. And there's, like, I was talking with Abby yesterday. We were driving, 
in the car and I said, you know, because there's been so many Christians who have done negative things, anytime now in our culture, like say if I want to get to know somebody and I want to talk with them and, and hopefully be some sort of a positive influence in their life for Christ, if they, the second they find out I'm a pastor, I got a long journey ahead of me before I can talk about Jesus. Because I've got to prove that I'm not like the people they think of when they think the name Christian. And so there have been some places where we've got a bad name. Our culture has a bad taste in their mouth when it comes to the name Christian. And so I want to just, I have a theory. Let me just toss out, I have a theory. Maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like this is right. That's why I'm telling you. And I have the microphone, so who's to say whether I'm right or wrong? Um, I have a theory as to what makes the difference or as to why Christians uh, have had the worst brought out of them by this cultural change. Okay? We've asked the wrong question. As we've been faced with cultural change, we've asked the wrong question. Instead of asking, how do we represent Christ moving forward? Okay, that's the right question. How do we represent Christ going forward? Our world is changing, culture changes, that's just the way of culture. We just haven't experienced it at this pace before, and so it feels new and foreign to us. Okay? So how do we represent Christ moving forward? We have asked the wrong question, and here's the question that a lot of people have asked. How do we get America back? How do we, how do we get in our DeLoreans, go back in time to the America that we loved, where it was a Christian nation founded on good, godly principles? And because we've asked the wrong question, we've gotten distracted from our real purpose Because the second question doesn't have anything to do with Christ. It has to do with what I want, what I'm comfortable with, and what I see as good in the eyes of God. But we've lost sight of maybe some of the things that make us Christians in the first place. And so as we've asked the wrong question, as we've gotten distracted, as we've gotten, I think, desperate at times, as we've gotten fearful, and as we've gotten angry, Christians have become so focused on holding on to a Christian culture that many of us have lost our grip on Christ. We've gotten so consumed with holding on to the Christian culture that we love and that we cherish and that is so familiar from the world we've grown up in. We're so consumed with holding on to that at all costs that we've forgotten to hold on to Christ in the midst of all of the change and all of the turmoil. And if there is one thing Christians are supposed to do, it is supposed to follow our namesake, Christians. Christians. We are supposed to follow as much as we can in the footsteps of Jesus. And so you will see so many Christians who feel as if they're fighting a holy war for the soul of our nation, and yet their behavior in that holy war is remarkably unchristlike. And they call people whores online. People that, and by the way, the only reason we can get away with saying things like that is because it's the internet. If somebody ever invents a way for someone to smack you through a computer screen, that stuff will stop. But we feel safe to say things like that. But it's not okay, it's not right, and it's not an adequate representation of Jesus. And so, um, we want to go back in time rather than figuring out how do we move forward in the right, godly, Christ-like way. Um, and I, this is as political as I want to get today, but, but I think one of the reasons why the last presidential election got so nasty was because there was a candidate who promised to take us back. Right or wrong, whether that, I don't want to get into any of that, whether that person is 
what they're doing or whether you are for it or against it. I'm just saying that calling, like, let's get it back, that played on a lot of the desires that many Christians have. And I think it stirred up that, that desire to go back that brings out the worst so often in many of us. And so you might be asking, okay, Anthony, how have we lost our grip on Christ? Because many of us don't feel that way. We feel like we're fighting for Christ. We're trying to keep America Christian. We're trying to keep America godly. How have we lost our grip on Christ? Well, I, I see three ways that I have seen personally. Here's the, the first one. We've become spreaders of lies instead of ambassadors of truth. We've become spreaders of lies instead of ambassadors for truth. As Christians have gotten scared and desperate and panicky and fearful through all this change, what happens is we start to share things that, that stir up our emotions and we don't check to see if those things are true or not. Two examples that come to mind was um, right after the Supreme Court legalized gay marriage, Christians collectively had a big freak out moment. And there was a couple stories that uh, rose to the surface. And Christians on Facebook and Twitter and any kind of social media platform, we were sharing these two stories like crazy. And one of them was completely false. And one of them was, had enough wrong details in it that it, it, I mean, both of them were full of Facts that were not true. The first one was um, that as soon as that uh, Supreme Court ruling happened, that um, gay marriage was now legal across the United States, was that the story was there was a guy who was suing Zondervan because they printed Bibles and Bibles had anti-gay hate speech in them. And Christians were like, oh no, they're stealing our liberties, they're going to make publishing Bibles illegal. Okay, that story was a little true in that the guy, there was a guy that tried to sue Zondervan for that, but it was years ago, and the second it got before a judge, he was like, this is ridiculous, no, and threw the case out. Um, the second story was, I, I want to say it was within the first two weeks of the ruling, was that a Christian pastor had gotten arrested for refusing to perform a gay marriage. And, oh man, did people freak out, oh no, they're stealing our liberties, they're forcing people to go against their religious values and stuff. And you know what? There wasn't a single bit of truth to that story. In fact, there, are, there is legal precedent after legal precedent that pastors like myself and Ben, we can choose who to marry and who not to marry. That is on us, not on the church. Um, the, the closest that that could ever be, uh, if a church was against that, the closest that could ever be pushed into a church was maybe the church would have to host the, the wedding. But, but that, that story wasn't true. And Christians were freaking out and sharing this stuff about pastors getting arrested for following their convictions and following their beliefs. And, and regardless of how you feel on issues like that, it is not helpful. It is not right for Christians to be spreaders of lies. We are not, we are not called to be liars and we are not called to spread a false impression of people in our world, whether we like them or whether we do not like them. Colossians chapter 3, verses 9 and 10 says, do not, what? Lie. I mean, there is hardly a more plain commandment in all of Scripture than the commandment to, do, to stay away from all forms of lying and deceitfulness. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. The old self is our life before Jesus came into it and saved us. The old self without Jesus, that's the one that is prone to deception, prone to uh, freaking out and sharing lies and deception for our own benefit. But the new self, no, 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 that's not the way it was supposed to be. He says, we have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Our creator is our heavenly father and the son and the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is called the way and the what? truth 
and the life. He says, I'm the way and the truth and the life. If he's going to call himself truth and we are supposed to follow him in his, in his footsteps, how can we then take his good and holy name and attach it to people who are ready to share lies without getting doing any amount of research? Just because the story was on the internet, that does not mean it's true. right? You can find a picture of Abraham Lincoln with a quote that says, do not believe everything you read on the internet. It's not all true. That doesn't mean, right? I mean, do you understand? That's the irony. Do you understand the irony of that, right? Like, like but like, it's, it's so painful sometimes that we can be so gullible, and it just makes us look so bad, and it doesn't help the cause of Christ one tiny bit. So that's one way we've lost Christ. The second way we've lost Christ, not only have we become spreaders of lies, but we have let anger become not just our driving force, but our defining characteristic. Um, like I said, it doesn't take much to see angry Christians online or on TV or whatever, but um, I mentioned last week we've, we've adopted this us versus them mentality. We've taken on this whole cultural change as if it's a holy war, and in a war, there's sides, and it's us versus them. It's Christians versus non-Christians, and we're, we're, we go into this whole topic ready to fight. We're angry that we're losing. We're angry that our culture's be, being stolen away, and I don't ever see it in the pages of the New Testament, in the pages of the Gospels, where the driving force of Jesus was anger. Now, he got angry at times, yes, but that was not what led him to preach to people. That was not what led him to, to heal those who were broken. That was not what led him to continually share the gospel, regardless of how many times his life was in danger. It was compassion and love. We cannot let our driving force be anger. And more so, we've, it's happened so much, like I said earlier, that Christians, we have this bad taste that we've put in the mouths of everybody else in our culture because it's become our defining characteristic. When you take uh, the name of Christian, a lot of people think, oh, Christians, they're just the grumpy people who yell all the time on TV. They're the people who hate this and the people who hate that, and they're the people that hate pretty much everybody who doesn't go to church like them. And, and that's so sad that that has become the case. We should not be defined by our anger and the things that we are against. James chapter 1 Starting in verse 19, and this is James, he's the half-brother of Jesus. He says, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. He doesn't say anger's wrong, but that it shouldn't be the, the, the leading motivation for our lives. It shouldn't be the thing that causes us to jump two feet, two feet first into stuff, okay? He says, for, anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with, what's that word? Meekness. Oh, that is not a word that people associate with Christians anymore. Receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. I would love to find a non-Christian who you say, what do you think of Christians? And they say, oh, well, they're just meek, humble servants of Christ. That is not the, the, the vibe that we are given people anymore. We're more angry than anything else, and that's a shame. The third thing that has happened to us, third way we've lost our grip on Christ, is we have responded like the world, not like Jesus. You see, when someone does something to us, our first reaction is to fight fire with fire. Isn't it? I mean, I remember getting to fights on the playground when I was a kid. Somebody pushed me. I'm like, well, there's only one option. When some little kid pushes you, you push them back. He took my toy. 
I'll take his pride and I'll punch him in the face. Like there's only, like you take from me, I take from you. That's the only thing that made sense to me as a kid, you know, when you're, when you're driven by your emotions, right? Um, okay, and so when we are attacked, we just attack right back. When we get made fun of, we try to make fun of people right on back. When we receive sarcasm, we meet it with sarcasm. When we receive anger, we meet it with anger. When our world is prideful and, and feels morally superior to us, we meet that pride with our own pride. Well, we've got the God of the Bible, and we've got this, and you're going to hell, and blah, blah, and, and we start on a rant that's led again by pride, not things that are Christ-like. And I know many of you have grown up in church, and many of you, I would even bet, if you went through the boxes uh, in your garage or in your attic, you would still be able to dig up a little teeny beaded leather bracelet and a t-shirt with th- four letters on it, W-W-J-D. What would Jesus do? And I, don't th- I think I missed that. I think I came into, I got saved like right on the tail end of that. So I don't think I have any merchandise of WWJD. And maybe it's not uh, cool to wear that anymore. But the question is still very, very appropriate. And just because you don't wear the bracelet doesn't mean you shouldn't ask the question sometimes. And so when we look in how our culture has responded to us, do we respond in like kind or do we step back and say, okay, how would Jesus handle being hated? How would Jesus handle when people made fun of him? How would Jesus handle when people acted like he was ridiculous for teaching the things he taught? The verse we looked last week that talked about this was in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21-23. through It says, For to this you have been called, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Jesus did not meet hatred with hatred, threats with threats. That's not the way that we are supposed to either. And so we have got to get to a place where we do not forget that of all the things we've got to hold tightly to, it is the way of Jesus. I understand that the call to want to go back and to get a, a culture that, that had a lot of good things in it. I understand you not liking the direction the world is going, but no matter how much you dislike the move of our culture, we cannot afford to lose the very thing that makes us who we are, and that is a transformation and salvation by our Savior. Because I look at what are we fighting for so often, power, influence, comfort, and, you know, it's not wrong at all to hope that people in our, in our country, that by and large, most people would follow Jesus. That's not wrong at all. Um, it's not wrong to, uh, to want to avoid our culture getting to a place where maybe Christians get persecuted. Maybe we do get arrested for certain ways we practice our faith. Is it wrong to want your culture to get to a spot like that? Absolutely not. Is it okay to maybe even feel a little bit of fear that it might one day end up there? Yeah, that's totally, perfectly natural. It's human for us to feel those things. But it is not, it's not even necessarily wrong, excuse me, for our, to have a desire to want our laws to be shaped by Christian virtues. That's not wrong either. But in many cases, we have let those things, we've let those things become the goal rather than following Jesus. We convinced ourselves that regaining political power and cultural influence, that that's the work Jesus is calling us to. And that is not the work that Jesus is calling us to. Jesus is calling us to have a transformed heart and to lead other people to him. And in our pursuit of regaining a Christian culture, 
I've seen so many Christians stop focusing on letting the Holy Spirit transform them. I've seen Christians who um, were totally kind of absent-minded on the fact that he's called us to go out and share Christ with our world, with those around us in our neighborhood, in our schools, at our coffee shops, and at our gas stations, at our grocery stores. We are called to be a people who share that message with others. I've seen Christians so consumed with the latest political developments that they, they give no thought to reaching their neighbor. They give no thought to how the mean things they say will influence their ability to reach other people for Jesus. And I, I might be putting words in Jesus' mouth here, so I might be overstepping my, my bounds, but I feel like Jesus would say that we are trying to gain the world while forfeiting our soul. And that is a dangerous place for us to find ourselves. Because in the first place, even if we regained all the political power and all of our laws got shaped by Christian moral values and Christian principles, I don't think you can legislate people to Jesus. I don't think you can legislate salvation. You can't legislate heart change. You can't legislate Holy Spirit transformation. It's, 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 it's good because the Bible, biblical principles are there for a reason. They are good and right and holy. But even if we made those the law of the land, it would not necessarily change the hearts of the people who don't have a heart for Christ now. And if you want to do any good in changing our culture, we've got to be willing not to yell at people and tell them they're wrong. We've got to be willing to do the hard work of opening our doors, opening our homes, opening our hearts to people that are not like us, to people that are far from Christ, so that we can show them the absolute loving grace and acceptance of Christ and that he can transform their hearts like nothing else can. And I think what good is it if we loudly and proudly wave the banner of Jesus but we are just as angry, hateful, deceitful, and unchristlike as anybody else in the world. I think we do more damage to the name of Christ than we do help for it. And so it might scare you that, you are, that we are kind of collectively losing the grip on our culture. But the one thing we cannot afford is to lose our grip on Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I pray that as our culture changes, as the world around us changes, that we would be people that have our priorities set right. It's not wrong to want our culture to honor you. It's not wrong to want godly principles to define the way our, our, our country functions, but our primary goal has to be, has to be the mission you've given us. Our primary goal has to be following in the footsteps of Jesus, willing to take up a cross and walk into unfamiliar territory, un unfriendly territory, to share the gospel and to share love. And so I pray that you would help us in a world of hostility. Man, we got a hostile culture. Father, I pray that you would give us the sense and the power of the Holy Spirit in us to not respond with an to anger with anger, to hatred with hatred, to sarcasm with sarcasm and in any other way that our world wants to, to get, come after us. And I pray that you would give us the, the mindset that we are ambassadors for Christ every single day. That for those of us who call ourselves Christians, we are called to be a good, honoring representation of Jesus every single day. And there will be times to stand up for holiness. There will be times to stand up for what is right. But oftentimes we are sacrificing what is right for the wrong thing. And so help us as we navigate the new culture that's changing before us. And, you know, it's probably going to keep changing. And it's probably going to still keep being something that we don't like. But just because we don't like the direction of our culture doesn't mean we have to hate the people of our culture. Doesn't mean we have to forget the, the love that you had for the people in our culture. And so I simply ask today that you would give us a heart 
for people that you have. The people that we're uncomfortable around, the people that we don't like, the people that, that we want to write off before we ever even talk to them, the people that we'd rather just tell them they're going to hell and then go back to our, our regularly scheduled programming of our lives. I pray that you would give us the, the heart of compassion, a heart that sees every person as a person with an eternity, a person who will spend eternity either in heaven or hell. And knowing that without you, without your salvation, without your grace, without the restoration that you have for all mankind, they will spend it in hell and suffering. But we want everyone the way you want everyone to be in heaven with you. And so give us a passion for the world and the culture in which we find ourselves. Not a passion for days gone by, not a passion for something that we might never get back, but a passion for where we find ourselves and the people that are around us. We love you so much and we are grateful for the mission that you've given us in Christ. May we again, we follow Christ above all else. We pray this in Jesus' good and holy name. Amen.